This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. Thank you. This is a quote from one of our Year 10 pupils. Um, we interviewed um, some pupils at the start of this year, just before we started the project, um, to get their sense of, of their relationship with language and what they thought about the kind of things we were trying to do. And as you can see, um, Amina um, is, a, is a bit jumbled up. Um, she's trying to, to spread it out. Um, and one of the, the things that uh, she suggested she needed to do was use more bigger words. Um, and, and really what she's, she's wrestling with there is, is this. It's the, the difference and the continuum between the everyday language that she uses at home and with her friends and the academic language that she needs to use for success in school and ultimately to, as Laura made reference to in the video, to gain academic qualifications. Um, so the work we're doing is based on this shift from everyday to academic language, and it's based on um, Halliday's functional model of language. Um, okay, just to uh, maybe teaching grandmothers to suck eggs here, and I apologise if that's the case, but just again, just to pick up on something that Laura said. Um, when we talk about EAL, uh, that, that masks a huge variation in, in the, the kinds of pupils that, that we are dealing with. Um, and so I wanted to take a look at the, the kind of four different groups um, that we, we may deal with and, and look at how aligned their, their language backgrounds are to the academic registers that I've just made reference to that they need uh, to, to be academically successful. So the pupils who are closest and are, are furthest on that journey are those who speak English as a first language and have professional parents um, or parents who, who have acquired academic literacy. And then actually the, the next group um, are EAL pupils whose parents also have academic literacy but in their, their first language. Um, and that may come as, as a slight surprise to some people, although probably not to many. Um, and then beneath that we have the pupils who speak English as a first language but who have, whose uh, parents have not acquired academic literacy. And we're talking about Sort of white working class pupils um, and other groups there. And then the pupils that we're dealing with at Parkview are, are these pupils. Um, they speak English as an additional language. They didn't start to speak English until they went to nursery um, or to reception. Um, they have no literacy skills in their first language because it's mainly Mapuri, so it's not a written language, it's just an oral one. Um, and their parents and carers haven't acquired academic literacy, and in fact, many of their parents and carers don't speak any English at all. So, just to, to sort of clarify what we mean by EAL, um, we're really talking about pupils in that second definition there. So, Ofsted define it as um, learners whose first language is not English, and then school census preparation guidance um, from a few years ago talks about pupils who, for whom English is not the first language that they, they use or they acquire. Um, so, that's the pupils that, those are the pupils that we're dealing with at Parkview. Um, the first language or languages they use at home are their community or their, their heritage languages, and it's not really until they go to reception or nursery that they, they start to use English. Um, and I'm sure that everybody will be familiar with this, this journey that EAL pupils go on, um, that it takes about five to seven years if they have literacy in their first language to acquire um, language proficiency in English, and it can be up to ten years if they don't. So we're really dealing with those pupils for whom it's going to take seven to ten years as an average for them to get to the kind of level of English that we need for them to access the curriculum 
and achieve what they are capable of. Um, so in, in practice, what, what are we trying to, to do with the pupils? Where are we trying to shift them? Well, I like this example from, from, from Pauline Gibbons. Um, we're trying to shift them from the first statement to the last statement, and I'll just go through them in order. Um, so this is uh, two pupils in a, perhaps in a science um, classroom, and they're talking about something that's happening right in front of them. It's very context-specific, and they're probably playing with magnets and looking at how things move around. Um, so that's, that's the first sort of everyday stage of language. And then we're trying to get them to move to then report back um, on what they've done. So this is perhaps um, them talking to their teacher about it or reporting back to the, to the class. And then we're trying to get them to, to write down uh, what they've been doing and, and report in, in writing rather than in spoken language um, what they've been doing. But actually where we need to get them to is to the kind of theoretical level. So instead of talking about, look, it's making them move, those don't stick, they're talking about magnetic attraction, because that's what they're talking about. And actually there's a slight mistake on this. It doesn't only occur between ferrous metals, but um, I apologise. Um, so we're trying to move them from that very spoken language that's very context-specific to this more written language that is theorising and drawing out uh, theory from the things that they've seen. Um, and we're also trying to get them to write like this rather than like this. Um, those are, are essentially the same uh, two ideas or same groups of ideas being expressed um, one in academic language, which uses 23 words, and the other one in everyday language. So it's not necessarily about using bigger words or more words, but it's about packing in meaning. And if we look at that, the way that the meaning's packed in there is through lots of extended nominal groups um, rather than the more everyday language um, at the bottom. So we're trying to get pupils to write like that top example there. And the approach that we're trying to use is draws on uh, the ideas of Vygotsky and the zone of proximal development, and it acknowledges that learning is a social, um, a social thing. It doesn't happen in isolation. So we're not, we're not trying to, to talk about transmission, where the teacher is the expert and the learner is the bucket to be filled up, and we're not talking about progressivism, where the pupils go out and learn things independently. We're, it's a social process where we are taking the, the learner from what they can do already to what they can begin to do with some support and then leading them as Laura made reference to in a video, when they're in that exam, they need to be able to do that on their own without anybody to talk to, without anybody to help them. We need to take them from that zone of proximal development into independence. And the way we do that is through scaffolding. So that doesn't mean writing frames, it doesn't mean sentence starters, it means scaffolding the new things that students need to learn so that that is future-orientated, we are taking them to independence. And hopefully this is what we, we end up with, um, what the child is able to do in collaboration today. He'll be able to do independently tomorrow. And we also very much believe in that bottom quote as well. A learner is capable of learning any material at any age so long as the instruction is appropriately organised. So what we're not trying to do is, is say that there's a limit on, on what students can learn because they don't speak English as their first language. And we are using this, this teaching and learning cycle which comes from um, a course... Uh, or a, a set of courses uh, developed in Australia, uh, the first one called TESMC, and the second one that we're now looking at uh, and using is called How Language Works, and I believe that the first school in that video, I think, have used that as well um, as an approach for their, for their um, when they made reference to training their teachers. I think this is the approach that they used. Um, so, as you can see, what, what this leads to um, 
we go from, from setting the context and building the field. So we're talking about how can we um, give pupils information that isn't from their context, that we can um, give them the, the, the content, if you like. And then we, we have to then address the language through the different stages. So we model and deconstruct what writing looks like and what the use of good language looks like. Um, we then jointly construct it with the pupils and we eventually lead them to independence in the independent construction phase. So there's a, there's a model that we're trying to follow. And um, the only, not the only problem, but one of the problems with this is, is, as the quote suggests, that we're finding that actually we need to start with the teachers. It's not about starting with the pupils, that the teachers are either not confident enough in their knowledge of language or they need to denaturalise their, their knowledge about language. And, and I, I put myself in that, that sort of former category, uh, the latter category, sorry, where I was never explicitly shown how to use language. I just absorbed it. And so I don't necessarily know how to put that across to my pupils. Just um, one, one more minute, please. No problem. Um, so the way we've done this is, is by working with 8-4 uh, um, across a uh, class in school, across four different subjects. And... The information on 8.4 uh, is there. Um, so they, they are the pupils we're talking about where they have only learnt English when they've gone to school. Parents don't speak uh, a lot of English or certainly don't have that academic literacy. Um, and if I skip through, we've got three focus areas for our work. Uh, we're trying to move them between exploratory talk and reporting back talk, which is the, the four sentences I showed you. We're trying to develop their ability to use specialist and techno uh, technical language and we're trying to teach them um, how to uh, produce subject-specific genres. So we're not looking at this as an English thing. We're looking at it as a history thing, a geography thing, and a science thing, and a maths thing. And just to, to present some of our findings so far, this is the, the results so far in English after six weeks. That, As you can see, majority, you know, big majorities of the pupils are moving up in their sub-levels. And what we haven't done yet is compared this to the, to the groups around them. But we are seeing these pupils make progress. And in science, especially Stark, 86% um, of the pupils improved by a whole GCSE grade um, in one term of this work. Uh, in the previous term, only 21% of them did. So we're starting very small with some action research at school, looking at how we can make language explicit, looking at how we can teach language alongside content, um, and we're hoping that, that we will find some good evidence and see some good evidence that makes an impact and try and spread that work. So if anybody would like to talk to me afterwards about that. I'd be very pleased to do so. Um, and that's, that's what we're trying to do at Parkview. Thank you very much. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.